We are all about great causes here at Sex and Space, and we have an absolute ripper coming at you today. Our shout-out is for the Sexual Health Network of Quebec. Are we in Canada? It doesn't matter. The Sexual Health Network of Quebec, or SHNQ, believes that knowledge is power. It envisions a society in which choices are made freely through educated and informed decision-making processes and where individuality and diversity are celebrated. Furthermore, the SHNQ foresees a society where healthy sexuality is central and where all individuals have access to consistent and accurate information. Whoop whoop. Check them out at the wonderfully concise shnq.ca for amazing resources, training and information. Plus, Sex Head on the Go, a free, easy access sex education online portal for anyone looking for information. When it comes to Sex Ed, don't believe the misinformation gremlins in your Twitter comments or the algorithmically controlled shame bots serving you your Insta feed. Go here instead. Sex, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the speculative interdimensional vehicle, Sex in Space. Its mission, to explore new points of view, to seek out fresh opinions, to boldly go where so many have gone before, and still somehow manage to totally miss the point. Subscribe to Sex in Space, wherever quality podcasts are found. Hi, I'm Tim, and welcome to another episode of Sex and Space. Here, arm out of the rocket window, inquisitively cruising sex across all of its infinite dimensions. Hope that all is well out there in sex, podcast, digital land, and you are locked, loaded, and ready to fire off into another awesome interview. Today, Dr. Jane Cherrington is back talking to Dr. Laurie Batito. Dr. Batito is a clinical psychologist with a speciality in sexual wellness and has been practicing psychotherapist for over 30 years and has published several academic papers. She's a regular TV sexpert in her native Canada and she's hosted her own show called Let's Talk Sex on Men TV. She's been featured in magazines. She's written an amazing book titled The Sex Bible for the People Over 50. She has two TED Talks on YouTube. She has her own podcast called Passion with Dr. Laurie Petito, which is excellent. She's the president of the Sexual Health Network of Quebec and the director of the Pornhub Sexual Wellness Centre. She's basically crushing it. Let's dive in. See you on the other side. And now, the interview. So, clinical psychologist originally, um, still, by training, still. Mm-hmm. and still, but that's where this journey began? Uh, the journey began, actually, I was a social worker before I became mm-hmm. a psychologist, and as a social worker, worked in the field of uh, child protective uh, services, and ended up working with a lot of uh, sexual, sexually abused children and adolescents, and really got more interested in the field of sexuality because it kept it was coming up in in a different way of course and then I uh, ended up going back to school because my initial degree was in uh, psychology so I ended up going back to school to do a master's and PhD in psychology 
And then in between all that, did a training, like a two-year post-grad training program in sex therapy, sex and, and marital therapy. Wow. That's a really interesting start point. If we go back even further, what was it that led you into the social work space, into the kind of space of working with others? Well, I think I, I always wanted to do something to help. I think it's just, it was in my nature. My mother worked for a social working agency, not as a social worker, but I was around that a lot. And I think that was part of the inspiration. My mother was always a very giving, nurturing person to other people. I saw, you know, I saw that growing up. So to me, it was a natural fit that I would do something in that vein. And then just the interest in sexuality, I think I've always been fascinated with it, even as a youngster, as a teenager, I was the one that the friends would come to and ask, you know, hey, I don't know what to do in this situation. How do I do this? And I was like, not that I'm the expert, but I'll find the information for you and I'll talk about it. So it was just the ease in which I had to talking about it that I think kind of brought people to ask me questions, which then led me to do research, looking into these things. And it just became this, it just kept feeding into it. And then uh, when I got to university, I just met, uh, there was, we had a professor who was teaching a human sexuality class. It was the only class at the time at McGill University, actually, which is interesting, but uh, it was the only class and I took it and I was like, oh, I'm like, this is for me. And I was like, what did you do? How did you get to be who you are? I want to follow in your footsteps. And that's exactly what I did. I got my training where she got her training, same mentor. And we just, and then I, you know, I just didn't go into academics, but um, my, my career evolved in such a way that it happened to me rather than me seeking much out to tell you the truth. I think the opportunities just came up and one door opened up another door opened up another door so very early in my career and i was a young sex therapist at the time i was going to conferences all over the world i was probably the youngest one there i was 24 or 25 years wow. old and i was like nobody you know today though you have sex re- like tons of sex researchers uh who are pr- in the field because it's become a field in the last 35 years when i was there there were older, much older people involved in this field. So, uh, and early, early in my career, um, I got the opportunity to do a local radio here just yeah. by pure accident. I was working at a clinic at a sex clinic, a um, sexual dysfunction clinic. And in walks a guy from a radio station saying, Oh, we have this show. It's about relationships and we want to move it into the sexual realm anybody here, any of you interested in doing it? And I was like, okay, I'll try it. You know, I was like, it was a little uh, scary, but I said, I had a motto that if it's scary, do it. Like that was it. Just do it. What, what's the worst that can happen? You sound like an idiot for once and then you stop doing it, whatever, you know? So I did it, loved it. And, um, you know, it's fielding questions off the cuff, right? You're, you're, yeah. And that kind of thing. So I did that for like nine years. And then I was offered my own show on another radio station, which was a nightly show. So for 22 years, I actually did a nightly radio program in Montreal and uh, in uh, some of the border United States and, and other places in Canada, uh, where I answered people's questions and talked about sex every single night for 22 years. It just ended my run uh, not that long ago. And then uh, 
So that door opened up televisions. I did a lot of television. I had my own TV show for two seasons and then, you know, been an expert on many, many TV shows and documentaries and things like that. So it's been like, it's just been a media. It just put me in the, in the position where I'm teaching the public. So I had, you know, it's not clinical. It is clinical, but I have to bring it to the, to the ears of a, a public that may not have the language. Yeah. So that was the thing for me that I really enjoyed doing is how do you explain difficult concepts and embarrassing concepts and awkward conversations? How do you bring that and make it less awkward and make it so that it's part of everyday language? Mm-hmm. And so that's been my goal for my whole entire career. And then, you know, then wrote a book and then got involved with Pornhub and started doing like just how do I reach more people and how do I get this information out in the, in the most efficient way? That's been my, like, you know, that's, what's been driving me. It's um, I mean, amazing. And it sort of describes the purpose of what we're doing over here. Okay. It's why it's called sex in space. It's to, to create um, spaces for conversations and to find the people out there like you doing this incredible work and give it visibility and say, look, there's this, right. And then to create a space for people to hear what you have to say um, and and to hopefully supply some tools from that that they can think about or find out where to get. Um, yeah, exactly. To backfill those spaces, the stuff we never got taught. But it right. sounds like you might have had some grounding in, educa- in sex education through family or somewhere like what made you feel so comfortable talking about it? No, Uh, I wish I, no, that's the funny part is I had immigrant parents who um, sex was not really a conversation. I mean, my father is the one who told us how babies are made, um, but that's as far as it went. We never, we were never shamed. Like I, I never got the sense that sex was shameful or anything but we didn't really have the educational tools. Like the only thing I could tell you is that my father used to sell encyclopedias and would bring home encyclopedias for us. I spent a lot of time reading encyclopedias and looking at the anatomy parts of it, you know? So I was very interested in that sciencey thing, but I never went into sciences, but that certain parts of science really made a lot of sense to me. and, And I wanted to know more. So I didn't really grow up with that. I think I was just a naturally curious child. And then as a teenager, sexual curiosity, I did all I, all I can remember all this time is I never grew up with this shameful feeling or a sit like sex is sinful somehow. I always knew sex was for pleasure. I, I always felt that that was, that should be the case. And so I think it just became easier for me to accept me and and just be be strong in my identity so I think I was at a young age um I had that confidence you know and uh or at least I pretended to I don't know but I felt that it was it was something that was driving and I didn't really care what people thought you know I always had that like I don't care what you think of me like you could call me whatever you want you know back in the days there's a lot of more slut shaming even than there is today believe it or not Oh, yeah. Um, well, yes. Having grown up in probably a similar era, it was yeah. not, it was not OK. Um, other side of the world in the UK uh, for, for young women to be sexual. 
or even to talk, they were sexual though. That's the interesting thing. Like mm-hmm. if you look at the statistics, like in, in 60 years, it hasn't changed. Like the age of first sexual experience has not changed in 60 years. We just didn't talk about it back then, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or shameful. You were, yeah. Or it was, sh- or you were pointed out as you're the one having sex. Yeah. But you also having sex, you're just not putting it out there. Like you, nobody knows about it. You know, you're doing yeah. a lot of stuff yeah. in secret. So so with, with there's a wonderful TED talk you did, um, TED Montreal, where you sort of described the arc of a lot of what we're dealing with through the work we're doing here. And one of the things you talked about, which I loved, was the way that sexuality changes across the lifespan. Yes. Was there yes. A, an aha moment for you about that in your work? I, I think the aha moment came from... Well, when it comes to sex and aging, yes, a little bit. So, you know, I wrote a book called The Sex Bible for People Over 50. And it was a very timely book because I wrote it when I was 50. And that that was I was motivated by uh, so older patients that I would see who would say to me things like, oh, I'm not going to bother with that. I'm, I'm too old. And I'm like, how old are you? Oh, 55, 60. I'm like, how could you give up on something that feels so good? Like, you know, so, so that was like the aha moment of like, do people actually give up? Like right. they, they just think that there's an expiration date. And I'm like, no. So I dug deep and looked for research and all the stuff that was out there that talked about how sex is better when you get older and how all of that stuff. And that was one of the great motivations for me is I said, I'll be damned if it's just going to end right here. Like that's not going to happen. So that was the motivation for that. But I think a lot of it is I see a lot of people in my practice and over the years who have very unrealistic expectations of what sex should be, you know, Um, and uh, like, I'm seeing a couple now, they are, they've been married for like close to 20 years, you know, and the guy's like, I just want to feel that burning passion for you. And, uh, you know, I'm like, I looked at him, I said, that's not going to happen. Like, Mm -hmm. you can have blips of passion throughout your marriage, but you want the same burning passion you had with her when she was brand new to you like that you're being unrealistic and she knows he's being unrealistic and she he has this image of, yeah, but I'm, I have, I want to live my life to the fullest and I want to have all of this. I'm like, then you shouldn't have chosen to get married or you should have known you, you need to understand how marriage works and the evolution of that and the choices we make and how to enjoy the moments you're in and, Uh, all of that. So that really struck me as something that, you know, if you're always looking for more and more and more, and there's this expectation of what it should be, you're never satisfied. I'm not saying stay in something that you you're in an abusive relationship or something's bad. Like, no, that's not what I'm saying here. But um, like, so I think our expectations Uh, get in our way of our of our healthy sexuality whether it's expectations that I should last a half an hour of intercourse you know that's what my partner wants is to have you asked your partner what they want because that's not what they're going to say you know and then giving them the real facts like did you know that men only last between two and five minutes of intercourse that that's average like what you're seeing in porn is not what's in real life, you know, or men who uh, continuously ask me about how to grow their penises. And when I ask them, well, how big are you? 
And they're, well, I'm like five, six inches. I said, that's average. Why do you need to be more than average? The women don't care. Not that much anyway. Like most women, average is perfectly fine and, and good. So there's all these preconceived or, or these expectations that do get in the way. The am I normal question. Oh, my God. That's every time. Yeah, that's every. The, everything we do. Everybody we talk to, that's the burning question. Am I normal? Why, though? The reason why it comes up is because nobody talks about it. So, for example, here's a perfect example of am I normal. Mm. 35 years ago, so I started pre-internet. We didn't have the internet. Back then, I I would see people who are who are have fetishes. So whether they were into BDSM or they were into adult babies or whether they're foot fetishes. So they felt like freaks. They felt like something is weird with me. Um, they would they would come to me because they were distressed. Is am I the only one in the world like this? Like, why is this happening to me? I don't understand it. Fast forward 35 years, I never see a fetishist. Right. And the reason is because they find a community online. So when they Google foot fetish, they will see, I don't know, half a million pages of other foot fetishes and, and sites. So they're like, oh my God, like there's a whole community, there's an entire population out there. So suddenly they are not distressed by what they feel because they realize, oh, okay, this is just part of normal. I may be on the edge of normal, but I'm, you know, because so many other people are involved, then I feel normal. Isn't that interesting? So is it that people who are at the edge of normal, whatever that means, um, are finding comfort and connection through the internet, and yet those in that kind of mass of the hump of so-called average aren't necessarily doing the same thing? So you're still seeing people saying, am I normal? Can I grow my penis? One of the most searched Google items, by the way. Is what? Um, can I? Can I grow my penis? <laughs> oh, can I grow? Of course. I mean, I get that question on a weekly basis for sure. <laughs> you're right. So, yeah. Yeah, I still get that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah, it's crazy. We just posted a video actually on our Pornhub Sexual Wellness Center with a urologist who's actually doing a study looking at uh, methods of uh, uh, growing. <laughs> <laughs> which is going to be interesting, but who, like the, the, if you listen to the program of how you need, what you need to do, putting weights on for eight hours a day, like who wants to do all of that? It, it, it just sounds a little bit nuts, but you're right. You're right that the average person will are asking themselves more often, is this normal or not? Because it's easier to know that the rest of the population, like not everybody is into feet. So you're going to go check and look for your, the other people who might be like you. But if you're having pain with intercourse or you don't have much desire or and you you just feel and you're comparing yourself to your partner uh, or to what you see in the media, then, yeah, the question is, I don't think I'm normal. Right. Yeah. Uh, and nine times out of 10, it's everything falls within the. I hate the word normal, healthy, unhealthy, whatever it is, but uh, it falls within the norm. And I can't tell you how many times women, especially women, have sat in front of me and I've said to them, well, what you're describing is perfectly, it, that's how 75% of the female population feels or thinks or feels or, or experiences. And they're like, and then the tears start to flow. Like I've been suffering for years knowing 
feeling like I'm not normal for years when all I would have had to do is speak to you for five minutes and got the real deal. So that tells me that there's such a lack of education and such a lack of information that people just like adults, forget the sex education of young people, but where do we as adults get our sex education? Absolutely. And so the piece that you just said before about desire, I love that, um, again, that TED talk where you spoke to the difference in passion at the beginning and then desire and how you have to work at that. You want to talk to that a bit because your your analogy was gorgeous. (laughs) Right. So uh, I don't remember which analogy I used then, but sometimes I use the restaurant or the car. I don't remember. (laughs) It was the the gym. (laughs) Or the gym. Okay. So, right. So in that TED Talk, I I talk a lot about how desire becomes um, less spontaneous, meaning that horny feeling of like, oh, I want you now, and becomes more responsive, at least for women, but also for some men. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I mean by that is we're, women are less driven by just this throbbing in their clitoris. I'm so horny. I need to have something inside of me kind of feeling, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Um, versus um, the, when we get in, when we engage in sex, like then I start to feel good that the, the the it that arousal triggers the desire that's the difference and there's a transition we transition from one to the other men transition less like oftentimes they stay with the spontaneous desire for sex again not all but for the for the most part yes so they have a hard time understanding how their female partners might not experience that so they send them to get help. What's wrong with you? You don't have any desire. I desire you. How come you don't desire me? It's not that they don't desire their partner because they all, they'll all say like, yes, I'm attracted to my partner. Yes, I'm interested. So I make the distinction between someone's interest in sex. If they tell me that they want to want to, that shows an interest in, in, right. in sex, right? So there's a difference in interest and the, the spontaneous desire. So once women understand how their desire works, and if they would put themselves in a situation, albeit that everything else is okay in the relationship, I'm not saying force yourself to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, once they put themselves in that situation and they allow for the stimulation to occur, and they make the conditions right. It's like, this is why thinking about it, putting it on your radar and planning for it are all good measures. Yeah. So once that, that gets going, then that kind of kicks in the uh, kicks in the desire. So the other analogy I like to use is hunger because it's kind of like a hunger, right? So you may not be hungry for sex. Doesn't mean you shouldn't eat. You may not be hungry at all. So let's say your partner is always hungry. Your partner suggests, let's, honey, I'm hungry. Could we go to the restaurant? I want to go eat at the restaurant. The partner says, I'm not really hungry, but I'll accompany you. And maybe I'll nibble. So you get to the restaurant and you know, your husband orders this really nice steak. He's like, can I have a bite of that? So you take a bite of the steak. Oh, that's so good. You know what? I'm going to order myself that same steak. You've suddenly opened your appetite. Now you're enjoying a beautiful meal. Yeah. So it's very much the same when it comes to sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of the way in which we understand the range of what sex is and means as we get older, really shifts, yeah, or needs to shift in order to accommodate the changes of us. 
Yes, exactly. So if you just give up simply because it's not the same anymore, that's like giving up walking because you're not walking as fast as you were before, right? Or giving up jogging. Maybe you were you used to run real quick, but now you have to slow the pace or whatever sport you do. Your body ages. Our bodies age. We have to embrace those changes. We may not like them very much, but we they, they are happening whether we like it or not. And I always say, what's the alternative? You could be dead right now. So you might as well like appreciate the fact that you're aging because it's a blessing. Um, so that's me always thinking kind of more in the positive way. But uh, yes, changes happen, which means that you have to readjust and also expand your definition of sexuality. So maybe at a certain point, you can't have intercourse anymore because I don't know, yeah, diabetes has ruined your ability to have an erection, whatever it could be, um, or too much pain with intercourse or whatever it is. That doesn't mean you give up on sexuality. You just redefine what sexuality is. So how are we going to do this? What gives you pleasure now? What gives you pleasure now? Like we need to be able to talk, Like this doesn't feel good to me anymore. Can we try this? So you're just, it doesn't have to be about intercourse. There's so many acts that you can do that feel that are sexual in nature that simply lying down naked together. I always say anything you're going to do, anything that you would, would not do with your brother or your sister is sexual. It's okay. Like go do everything else. Right. So just lying down naked is part of sex. Uh, so expanding one's knowledge and expanding one's definition is really important, knowing that there are solutions to things. So whether you have erectile dysfunction or you have a vagina that's thinning and atrophying and you, you lack hormones and whatever, there are solutions to all of these things. They may not make them per- make it perfect or restore you back to what you were at 20, because that, that's an unrealistic expectation, but certainly can make it so that you're enjoying and you continue to enjoy sex. Yeah. So if you were describing an essential toolkit for people long-term in order to enjoy healthy sexuality, what would you put in the kit bag? So in the kit bag, uh, I would put uh, uh, how to have a, a good open conversation. So a little, a little booklet about how to have a conversation about sex, yeah. <laughs> you know, how to be able to talk about your needs and express your needs. I would add in there um, some props to um, help with aches and pains. So, you know, they make kind of wedges or pill, you know, pillows that get propped up or things that can, you can adjust your, uh, your positioning. So for positions, I would definitely add sex toys in there uh, because we, uh, for example, women need more clitoral stimulation as they get older, because we start to have a little more of a some, some women experience something that feels like a, a, like a deadened clitoris or the nerve endings are not as, as um, um, sharp, let's say, or, or what have you. So adding extra stimulation, because you're, if, you're part, if you're aging along with your partner, your aging partner's tongue and fingers don't move as fast either. Right. So you got to catch up, right? So you got to use other things. Yeah. So using, so using toys that would certainly be in there. Uh, lube, lubricant, yeah. uh, silicone lube would go in there. Um, that would be my basic toolkit for sure. That sounds like a good kit bag. Actually, there's um, a website called Hot Octopus, 
um, who do sex toys for people who aren't necessarily as dexterous as, as using them anymore, which is cool. That's cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, because yeah, like some of the, and also one of the things with new sex toys, I realized with older people is um, they often come, um, they're rechargeable uh, or chargeable, and um, older people don't necessarily expect that. They're expecting right. something with batteries, and and some of them are so subtle in terms of where you plug them in, it's almost right. invisible. And so there's some education about that too. These are the new toys. This is what they look like. This is how they work. Um, yes, exactly. A guidebook to using these toys. Exactly. That, that's a very, very good point. And also, I don't know if you ever, there was a Netflix series called Grace and Frankie. Have you been, yes. are you aware of that? Okay. So, you know, this is a couple of old women in their 80s or 70s or 80s. And they created a line of sex toys for women with arthritis Absolutely <laughs> so that they'd be easy to use, you know? And I was like, that is brilliant. I hope somebody's really making those toys. As people are aging, as the, the population, we're having, there's more aging people than there are younger people uh, in terms of baby boomers and such. And I'm at the end, tail end of the baby boomer generation, but we are going to be, we are the advocates for this. Like we have to insist and we have to fight for things that we want, uh, whether it's open discussions about sexuality, whether it's having our doctors talk to us about sex, uh, whether it's uh, making sure nursing homes uh, allow for spaces to have sex in, where we're training people, where we have LGBTQ training for uh, nursing homes and seniors residences. And I mean, seniors residences are a hotbed of STIs right now. There's oh, a lot of sex happening there. There is. There's, oh, there is. I'm, I give talks there. I bring my books. I bring condoms. I give them the, I give them safe sex talks like I would to a, a class of teenagers. It's a really interesting space because um, one of the tensions there is when children are basically in charge of their parents in that space they start to try to intervene in their parents sexuality it's like this complete reversal that's right and i'm taught and when i like i say hey adult children are you having a sex talk with your parents because you need to you know the same way they should have had them with you with safe sex you need to have that talk with them and you need to let them like <laughs> explore their like it's more about accepting that you are sexual when you are older, the same way parents have to accept that their kids are sexual. Yeah. Yes. The exactly. same thing. But we're very ageist as a society. Oh yeah. Society. There's so much ageism, so much ageism. It, it's rampant really. Uh, and, and in our own heads as well, you know, yeah. it lives inside us. Well, we have to change that. Right. So changing attitudes takes generations. So we, me and you and our cohort, we got we got some work to do. <laughs> sure do. And <laughs> the, the place I found you um, was Pornhub, actually. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that project. So this was an amazing project. So it's the Pornhub Sexual Wellness Center. So basically, it was like a, a somebody match, make, match made us together. So there was one person who was familiar with the Pornhub uh, company and with me, and I was looking for a project. They were looking for a community project. So not, 
not a money maker, not like just there. They tend to do like find projects that um, that are good for the community. I know it can sound a little paradoxical, but we're not going to have that argument or, yeah. or, or debate. So um, so they were looking for something. And so we met and uh, we came up with this idea together to have a space where all those people that are going to porn, all those people, whatever age, but we created this, we made the assumption it's 18 plus, that's who we were dealing with, um, that they should have a space to go to that will give them the real deal on sexuality. I like, I wanted the, 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 the balance, like it was abhorrent to me that this is where people get their knowledge from. When you look at the statistics, this is where the majority of people get their information from. So this is dangerous if this is happening. Mm -hmm. So let's create a space where those same people, while they're navigating their porn, can find us and ask questions and look at um, science-based, evidence-based information. So that's what we did. We created it about, I don't know, I think it was five, maybe six years ago. It's been hugely successful. Um, Successful in the sense that the reach has been successful. We've reached a lot of people. This was done for the Pornhub community, for people already going there. It wasn't like we were accused at the beginning, like, oh, this is a marketing scheme. It's a gimmick. It's a this, nothing of the sort. They don't make money from it. There's no advertising on it. It bypasses all the porn. You go right to it. And it's filled with like thousands of pages of information from valuable sources, from, from there, everybody who contributes to our site are, Doctors, nurses, educators, um, physios, like everybody who works in the field of sexuality, not just writers and bloggers and what have you. We don't have, I have nothing against them, but they do their research well, but that that's not what we wanted. We wanted to differentiate and to really have a site where you can speak to the experts directly. And then we have a Q&A on that site. Uh, where I answer people's questions. So they submit them, I answer them. Uh, We just started a video series, a sex education video series, where we visually will show people how to put on a condom, how to negotiate condom use, uh, uh, how to have the conversation about monogamy or non-monogamy, all kinds of stuff. So we're we're actually like the how-to videos are in there as well. So it's an ever-evolving uh, platform. On there, too, is uh, people have access to my podcast, which is called uh, Passion with Dr. Lori, which uh, talks about sexuality. We release uh, an episode once a month. So that's lodge- that gets hosted there, too, although it's available on all the other platforms. So it's been a, a wonderful, wonderful project because it has reached people from all over the world all over the world, where in a lot of places where there's zero sex education, zero access. Uh, And and I could tell because the questions I get can be so basic. So, so basic. Can you give us some examples? Like, can I get pregnant from uh, just rubbing on the outside of our clothes? Wow. Okay. Uh, You know, um, I mean, many things like if I like anal sex, am I gay? Uh, uh, how I, I can't even think there are just so many 
uh, questions about periods and and like I could see that a lot of people who write are young, although our site is not to reach those people, but I can't help who comes to the site either. Right. Like, I, you know, we know that youth are accessing porn. I'm grateful that they're able to get to this site, which actually has real information for them if they're there anyway. Right. So, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. But we have like sections where there's basic basic anatomy. So we go through the basic anatomy of men and women. We go through um, STIs. We go through like some like almost like sex ed 101. And yeah. then it gets more and more um, explicit. I don't say explicit, but like more variety of the kinds of things we talk about. It's a it's an absolutely brilliant project. And I think I would encourage anybody listening who's curious or has questions to go and have a look at it it's um and also to read your book anybody who's approaching 50 or <laughs> over 50 definitely a book to read because a lot of what's going on is as you said it's making these words questions conversations normal yes it's just giving space to actually ask these things and and to yeah get some sex education that we never got Right. And especially when, when it comes to the book, for example, I really made that book for couples because to open the conversation, there's short chapters. It's like, hey, let's read this in bed together. It has pictures and it. it tends to keep the guys interested. So it's what you know, it's a self-help book that isn't like a big, thick book. It's it's easy to read and it, it's solution focused. So it has like, here's the problem. Here's the solution. Let's try this. Oh, let's do this homework. Let's do that homework. So it's an and it opens conversations. So for me, that's the most important is that you're able to have these conversations together uh, and then work, uh, work from there, you know? Yeah, it's interesting, the conversation piece. Um, this whole project started with a, a piece of research I did called Conversations with My Lover. Mm, that's it amazing. Was, it was about um, how we're at our most intimate, we are often at our least articulate. And we're very poor at being able to um, say things even like that feels good or that doesn't feel good it's um, yeah. the shame piece that you talked about the you, you don't talk about it there isn't a vocabulary for it right um right. And it and we that was where this originally started and then it moved to understand that actually the gap is educational as much as conversational so we shifted gear but that um, education about language, being able to have the words and to understand our own anatomy, your early curiosity with encyclopedias. Yeah. Um, my <laughs> first job was selling those, by the way, or one of my. <laughs> That's great. I love. Oh them. yeah, and I had I and and you know I had the insight. This I had two sources of knowledge. I had my encyclopedias, thank God, but I also had Cosmopolitan magazine. Oh my! <laughs> Do you remember that? So yeah. back then. That's all like those were like very salacious articles and like how to give a guy a blowjob. Like there's all kinds of things. Right. So I was like ver a voracious reader of those magazines. <laughs> so I think I learned quite a bit. Uh, I don't know if it was good information, but it was some information nonetheless. Right. Well, well it's funny, um, Cosmo, um, one of the articles, one of the things that set me on a journey around sex ed and why it's so important to kind of have a, an unpacking of the narratives in what sex tells us, especially porn, you know, who we are and how to be, how men should be, how women should be, uh -huh. all of that stuff. And there was a Cosmo, um, I was a very young mother, 
And um, I had a young daughter and there was a Cosmo article, how to have anal sex comfortably. Right. And I was horrified because it was about how you do this for him. I wasn't horrified at anal sex. I was horrified that the framing of this was, you know, if it's uncomfortable, learn how to get comfortable so he can enjoy it. Oh, geez. Okay. Right. Back in the day, but, you know, how to give him a blowjob. Those magazines. Yeah, it was always about him. It was never about the female pleasure. And, and that's been a big lack in our education. In fact, that we don't talk about pleasure and women think they have to suck it up. And if it hurts too bad, you know, like suck it up because sex is for, for the guy, which of course we're thankfully, I hope we're not teaching our girls that I certainly didn't teach my girls that it better feel good because don't do it if it doesn't feel good. It's for you too. So it, it really, we have to, there is a shift in the way we're viewing uh, female pleasure and talking more about female pleasure. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but in my circle, I hear women and my friends and we talk about sex toys and we say, hey, what's your favorite sex toy? Somebody will come say, oh, I got this great new sex toy. You got to try it. It's like, it's like two seconds, you know? And so we're taught, we're having these conversations. Yeah, slowly. I think maybe for some groups of women, that's true. And then for others, this is yet to be had as a conversation. There are parts of the community where it's still culturally not okay. Right. Um, there are really strong constraints that are faith-based. Um, yes, of course. And, and I'm talking about my, you know, of course it's me. So who's going to be attracted to want to be friends with me? If you're really shy and, and embarrassed about sex, you don't want to be around me. Like that would be way too, that would be way too triggering, you know? <laughs> so yes, it's maybe particular to my, my friends group, but nonetheless, I still, I'm hearing more people talk about it, more people open about their sex toy purchases and, and such, but that's in some parts of the world. We have a whole big world out there. Like you just, Pick the U.S. and you can divide that into those that never talk about sex, but do a lot of stuff behind the scenes, but yet will not talk about it. Uh, and those who are more liberal. So, yeah, there's culture, religion, uh, so, so many. It's so complex, really, when you start to break it, break it down. It is. And we're very privileged to be having these conversations without threat or fear for our lives in having them, which yeah. is you know, going on in other countries. Quite true. I mean, I don't know about you, but I still get the occasional hate mail because some people still think I'm the spawn of the devil because I talk about sex openly, but it, but it is so little, like it, it's much less than I would have ever anticipated. So that makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, talking with uh, a young woman in Beirut the other day, um, it underscored the radical privilege that we have because they can't even talk about rape, um, you know, um, without uh, and having not only been given death threats, but men with guns come in and put guns to their heads because they were having conversations like that. And so we, we, are, yeah, we, we have to realize how privileged we actually are to be able to at least have a discussion, at least have places to go when something happens to us as women and such. So in your in your years of working in therapy, have you noticed um, amongst what's the continual themes like, is my penis big enough and can I make it bigger? Um, uh, has there been a shift in some of the things that are presenting to you? 
the biggest shift that I have seen is that my clients are getting younger and younger. Right. So yeah, early in my career, I would see older people with problems. Now I see a lot of people in their twenties right. and thirties with lots of questions, lots of relationship uh, kinds of issues, lots of performance anxiety. I've never seen so much anxiety in my life than in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, especially when it comes to sexuality. So performance anxiety is met in men, very common, very common um, in men like under 30, for sure. Uh, I, I blame in part expectations of pornography and, and what they have absorbed in terms of what they think it should be and not measuring up and not feeling like they can measure up. I blame a lack in social skills training because mm-hmm. they're always on their damn freaking uh, machines and then they can't. I feel I sound very old when I say things like that. Though I mean I'm on my machines too. I don't want to, you know. But but when there's no practice to be out there and to socialize yeah. and to learn some of those skills necessary for relating uh, romantically, so there's a few issues out there, you know, that uh, are preventing people or making them anxious to get into real life uh, relationships. They're fine behind the screen. Mm. They're not fine in real life. The absence of any conversation around sexual pleasure and how our bodies work in pleasure terms in school education seems like a massive gap still. Is there work in that space where you are? Well, there's a a massive gap in discussing pleasure in education for sure. So in, I live in Quebec and I'm part of an organization which uh, we're an advocacy group for sex, sexual health education in schools. And one of the things that we bring up, of course, is talking about pleasure and talking about consent. Yeah. So yes. uh, like consent is the big one. I was just doing a podcast recording one today and looking at how many um, boys, like how many girls feel that the boys pressure them constantly to send nude photos, for example. So sexting has become a real issue where the where boys are like pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And this is what girls are ex- are expressing. Like, where's this? No- why aren't they getting this notion of consent? You don't push somebody until they submit to you. That's not. And then they say, yes, just shut you up. That's not consent. Like, no, they no. have to understand what consent actually means. And the consequences of what they're doing. I I just think that teenagers need to be taught. We need to have these conversations more and more with them because they don't have the natural ability to make sense of this stuff. Their prefrontal cortex isn't quite developed yet. So they're full of uh, impulse. uh, You know, they don't have impulse control and they're not great problem solvers. And so mix all that together and you're going to get kids getting into trouble all the time based on their curiosity and, and their horniness. Yeah, it's and consent's massive and important, and it does seem to be getting some airtime now, which is great. It's just pleasure seems to be yet again getting sidelined. Um, I know female pleasure, female pleasure. Yeah, although in sex ed, pleasure full stop. It feels I, I had a look at the new curriculum out here, and it's good, but it doesn't it doesn't deal with pleasure. Um, you know, which is crazy because why are, why are teenagers having sex? Why yeah. <laughs> to make babies? No, there's only one reason they're doing it yeah. because it feels so damn good. So they're neglecting the entire reason 
why people are having sex. Like, how about we admit that? Yes, it feels good. Of course, it feels good. That's why we're having sex. But something can feel good and also be can have consequences. So let you know, we're not denying that it feels good. But like, if we if we just teach them that all, all what all the things that could go wrong, that's not enough to deter them from the pleasure. It's just not enough. The pleasure drives you far more. So how about we, how about you have pleasure in a safe way? Yeah. Go ahead, have pleasure in a safe way. If you're going to do it, do it safely. And if you want pleasure, but don't want the consequences that come with it, do it alone. Yeah. You self-pleasure, you know, and give people that option. <laughs> it's like. Yeah. And educate them that it is an option. I love yes. the term um, solo sex, which is on the Hot Octopus site. Um, Absolutely solo sex. It's a so, good term. Yeah, self-loving, self-love, self-care. It's all part of that, yes, self-care routine, you know? Yeah. It, it, the consent one is, um, it's very difficult. We've yet to um, kind of go deeply into some of the challenging outcomes of consent failures in our work. And I know we sort of need to go there at some point. Um, And that was what set you off at the beginning on your journey was working with people in that space. Exactly. Exactly. And, and seeing the impact because I was seeing children and adolescents and older adolescents, I could see how their sexuality evolved from the point of having been, let's say molested as children and how that, how it stunted their growth and the way they, they saw sexuality and how the, I could, it was so easy to see how they are going to have trouble having healthy sexuality, making sense of sex after that kind of uh, experience. So I got very involved for the next 10 years after that in private practice, working with incest survivors and survivors of, of other kinds of sexual assault. My PhD, um, research was on sexual assault on, on incest and attachment. And, uh, so there's all kinds of, uh, I, I stayed within that field for, for quite a long time. So for me, consent has always been there in the back, you know, it's always been an, an element, but I'm just happy that we're putting the words into the mouths of children in terms of what this, you know, no means no, and what that means and what is consent and that, what does it mean? It's not just submitting to somebody. It's not, it's saying yes, enthusiastically. And what does that mean? And so, and we have to teach boys how to, how to take no for an answer. You know, like don't just keep pushing till somebody relents because they want to shut you up. It's like, that just is terrible. Yeah. It's um, I mean, the, the sex education gap and where that leads people in relation to those challenges is kind of, it's a big circle, huh? that failure of information and not knowing that you've got the right to say no or not understanding the tools to even without the full fully developed frontal cortex right. to, to think through what you're about to do right which is why we have we have to get parents on board like the school system is not enough mm-hmm. uh, it should not be just that the teachers are taxed enough with what they have to do that giving them this added responsibility when they may not be so comfortable discussing things is unfair. So either getting professionals, sex educators in the schools to do this work, that would be ideal. Uh, Getting 
parents involved in having these discussions. We need to talk about not just consent and pleasure, but porn literacy. The same way we talk about media literacy, we need to do porn literacy. You have 11-year-olds watching porn. This is bad. They're watching sometimes horrible stuff. Mm. And we need to be able to have these conversations and not be one of those parents that says, not my kid, my kid wouldn't do that. Or my kid doesn't do that. And my answer is, yes, they do. You just don't know about it. You know, it's like most kids have access. Most kids will see it. That is the reality. Absolutely. I love the idea of um, sex educators running classes for schools that include classes for parents first. (laughs) I do a lot of those uh, whenever I go into a lot of schools will hire me to come and talk to the parents about this. So I do like a whole developmental, like what kids need to know at what age and how to have the conversation and uh, all of that, which is vital. Very, very important. And do you find then that what you're actually doing is sex education for the parents? Yeah. Essentially, I I don't educate kids like that's not my thing. I like I'm a therapist before I'm an educator. But in the work that I do as in general, I am educating the public. I'm educating adults. So, yes, educating the parents on. Listen, your your children are sexual beings. So get a grip. Get you know, come along for the ride. It's going to be a ride, but you got to get armed with all the right information so that you are not caught off guard and you are not flustered and you are not uh, feeling terribly awkward about it. So if you practice it enough, it will be easier. Do you have recommended resources for parents who are trying to get themselves ready to talk to their kids when they've got a couple of littlies? You know, I think there's so many books out there, depending on your child's age. I think if you did a, a, an Amazon search or Google search for how to talk to your kids about sex, you're going to find many, many different good ones. And I don't know, maybe there's some more recent ones, but um, for little, little kids, like I like to, I, there's a book that I use with my kids, like called What's the Big Secret by Mark Brown, actually, um, which I loved because it talks about you know, for four-year-olds and five-year-olds talks about masturbation, talks about uh, sexual orient, homosexuality, everything. Uh, so that was a book that I use, but I don't know if it's still available. I have to have a look. There's a lot of good books. Yeah, have a look. It's a great, great little book. Yeah. Are there any other recommendeds that you've loved across your reading or, or websites or whatever, anything you're like, oh God, yeah, that was great. Oh, so many. I, I you know, so like if you're talking about solo sex, any anything by Betty Dodson, the late oh, yes. Betty Dodson, unfortunately, she passed. What a wonderful lady. Um, any any work by her for sure. Uh, some of my favorites, uh, Michael Castleman just released a book on uh, great sex, uh, like a nice big, big book covers everything. He does some great some great work as well. Um, the work of Esther Perel uh, when it comes to relationships and relating. Uh, oh man, there's, uh, you know, there's so many people in my field now that I admire and love and, and have a lot of respect for. Um, I can't even begin to uh, put it this way. Many of these people, many of the, the people that I do have admiration, respect for their work, I've had them contribute to the Pornhub site. So many of them are contributing to the site writing articles. Right. Uh, So if you want to find more information and there's, we have a whole bunch of contributors who are all in the field 
and you'll be able to see like all of their websites and books and everything that they've done. So if people actually want to go directly there, not search for it, if they go to pornhub.com slash sex, believe it or not, that's the way to bypass the actual sex. <laughs> so you go right to the sex right. education site. Yeah. That's that's good to know. We'll definitely be putting that as part of um, what we air with this. And so with given that you are an expert in your field, I love the word in your bio sexpert. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you've got so many tools that you've developed over the years. Do you find yourself comfortably able to navigate issues about sexuality for yourself personally because of that toolkit? Uh, yes. I mean, I try certainly to practice what I preach. My only issue, my only problem is finding the time to have sex because I'm so busy, but you know, <laughs> it's, but I, we find a way, uh, that's, that's about it. But I hear you. Yes, <laughs> of course. I mean, uh, you know, do I have time to practice everything I, I, I tell people about? No, uh, clearly not like, uh, not, uh, I'm going to be honest, but uh, certainly try to, and certainly believe in positive sexuality and pleasure and, and all that stuff. Yeah. I think it's um, helpful for people to understand that with the tools that you have, if you learn them and start to apply them, it does make a difference. Absolutely. makes a difference. Yeah. Unfortunately, I have a patient in three minutes. <laughs> let you go, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Laurie. Such a pleasure. That's great. And my it- pleasure. My pleasure. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, yeah. Hope you enjoyed that. If you need a little more Dr. Laurie up in your house, then head on over to drlaurie.com. That's D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E.com. If I said to you, five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, you'd know what to do, wouldn't you? Plus, check us out in, at sexandspace.com on Instagram and Facebook. That's sexandspace, D-O-T-C-O-M. Or just flick us an email at hello at sexandspace.com and tell us what you think. A massive thanks to all our guests and to the team at String Theory, and of course to you, to making it all the way to the end of another one. Until next time, bye. If you found some of this material a little challenging, keep coming back and we'll make it. Really challenging.